Well, we've been in this series, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and it's based on that carol. We sang it uh, even this morning. That carol, uh, and we've been, you know, the, the word Emmanuel, it's a term that means God with us. And so we've been inviting God to be with us. We've been by, inviting the Savior to be with us. O Come, Emmanuel, be with us. Be with us, as we've talked, in our hearts. Be with us in our habits. Be with us in our hardships that we'll talk about today. Next week, we'll talk about, on Christmas Sunday, we'll talk about be with us in our homes, and we're going to invite you to worship in your homes. Uh, we won't have services here at the, at the church, but we will release a Christmas uh, service that you'll be able to, to digest at home. Facebook, YouTube, you can go on our website. Uh, you can also listen at 9.30 and 11 on 94.9 WSJM. And we'll broadcast it there as well. So a lot of ways you can, you can worship together on Christmas uh, next weekend as we invite again Christ into O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Come be with us in our homes. Let's go back to that classic carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. There's a verse that really helps to set the stage for what we want to explore. Let me share it with you. I'm not going to wrap it or sing it. I'm just going to say it <laughs> for you. O Come, Thou Dayspring. That's just another way to describe our Savior, the dayspring, the, the, the sunrise as he comes in the darkness to, to break open the darkness. O come thou dayspring from on high and cheer us by thy drawing nigh, or our spirits by thine advent here, I think is another way to say that line, another verse of that line. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So for a Christmas carol, it's, it's a little dark. It's like it's in a minor key vibe that's, that's going. Those, that, that, those, those, those verses disperse the gloomy clouds. It's part of, the, part of the line. Fight death's dark shadows or put death's dark, dark shadows to flight. That's another of the lines. But, but when we think about it, even though it seems a little dark, that's what the birth of the Savior does. That he does come in, and we invite him to come into our hardships. We invite him to come into the gloom. We invite him to come into the darkness that we all experience in this life at times, that he has the power to do that, to be our day spring, to be the one that, that conquers the darkness and brings light. Jesus made it pretty clear that we would have seasons of darkness and seasons of gloom in our lives, that this world that's broken by sin would have times of hardship. Scripture says, Jesus told his disciples in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's some, some encouragement in that passage, but sandwiched between that encouragement, what, what's in the middle of that? What does Jesus say? In this world you will have tribulation. So he told us we would have peace in the midst of it. He told us that he has overcome the world, but he said we would have tribulation. He didn't say that he would get rid of the tribulation. He didn't say he would, in some translations, say another way to translate that verse, you will have many trials and sorrows. But he didn't say he would take away the trials. didn't say he would take away the tribulation. didn't say he would take away the sorrow, but just that he would give us peace in it and that he's overcome the world ultimately. The valley, the valleys that we go through, sometimes they're long, sometimes they're short, but we all go through valleys. And he told us in the middle of those valleys that he would be with us. 
We look at other people's lives, and we look at someone's life, and think, oh, well, they've just got it made. And they, I mean, I'm going through this stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going through this, and, and, and their life just seems perfect. And we look at the social media that scrubs all of the negative, and we just see the positive. We see all the perfect pictures, and we think, wow, I wish my life was like that, until you get really close to individuals. And when we get really close, we realize that every single one of us goes through times of struggle. That it's really true what Jesus said, that in this world you will have tribulation. We all know that. We all experience that. It is the human experience. So as we think about those valleys, we think about those hardships, we think about those, those struggles, and we all have them, what difference does it make if, if we were to invite Christ to come into that, to come and dispel the gloom, to come and help us in the darkness, to be our day spring, to bring light to spring light into our darkness. Father, God, as we open your word today, as we look at these, these words from this prophet Isaiah written 700 years prior to the birth of our Savior, God, the truth that they hold for us, I pray, God, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our valleys, I pray, Father, that your truth would, would, would come alive in us, that you would help the truth that, that, that is in these words to to come out of this book and into our lives and our hearts as we recognize that your Son, our Savior, can make all the difference, can be our peace, can dispel the darkness. I pray that you would speak to us, Father, in the next few minutes as we look at your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In week one of the series that we have been in, we talked a little bit about, and we refer, referred to some of the prophecies that we see in Scripture. Some of the prophecies that, that point to the fact that Jesus is our Savior, that were written hundreds, if not thousands of years before the birth of Christ, pointing to Him. And if, you're, if you are looking for a reason to put your faith in Christ, <laughs> looking at the prophecies and understanding that, that these things that were written about Jesus hundreds of years before came true in His birth, and subsequently... You know, that's a great, one of the great, you know, things, reasons uh, to put your faith in Christ. He is real. He is true. He is the absolute son of the living God. Those prophecies that, that tell about uh, the town that he would be born, the prophecies that tell that he would be born of a virgin, prophecies that tell uh, who would be his ancestors. He, be, he would come from the line of David. There's a lot of things we might be able to, to maybe manipulate in our lives. We really can't manipulate where we're born. Or details about our, about our birth. Jesus, again, is the fulfillment of those prophecies. Our text is written, um, comes to us from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote, again, hundreds of years before Christ. And he wrote into, uh, and it was a time of, of great trouble and darkness and, and, and struggle that he, that these, this, this prophecy about the coming Messiah uh, he wrote, the, the prophecy comes at a time when the nation of Israel, this great nation under Saul and David and Solomon, had subsequently been divided up, and they had had struggle. And so we had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and God's people were divided. And into that division, there were enemies. And as they turned their back on God, God warned them that, that they needed to turn back, they needed to trust him, and they didn't. And in the north, the Assyrians came. Again, this is in the time frame that Isaiah is writing. And the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. It's been wiped out. 
in there. Uh, so we have that going on. And then and to, the, to the south, you have the Egyptians. And so you have these major world powers. And, and now Judah and Jerusalem, the capital, is sandwiched in between these major world powers. It was a time of struggle that Isaiah writes. The glory days of the nation are long gone. Idolatry and greed and government corruption were cancers that were eating away at the nation that he loved. And he's trying to warn them. He's trying to prophetically tell them, you need to turn back. Here's, here's, here's the future if we don't. And into that season, God gives, God gives Isaiah this prophecy for the people. And in, in chapter 9, it starts out, and he's basically just talking about the darkness that is around them, the, the struggle that is around them. Those first verses, chapter, or verse 2 says it this way. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep, dark, deep darkness, on them has shone the light. And so into this darkness, into this turmoil, comes this prophecy that, that there's one that's going to come and this darkness that you're experiencing will eventually dissipate. In verse 6, if you skip down, there's more of the same there in those those next verses. But then in verse 6, really where we want to focus, he says, pointing forward to what? To the day when the Savior would be born, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it forth, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So just like there was struggle and there was darkness in the time that Isaiah wrote his prophecy, Jesus comes into a time as well where there was darkness and struggle and hardship. The words of Jesus rang true in Isaiah's time, in the time he was born, and in our time, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's, again, the universal human experience. And Jesus is born into the first century, a time when the Jewish people were living in hardship. They were living under the thumb of the occupying nation. The Romans were in control. It was a time of intense hardship for any number of reasons. They had high taxes and poverty and their spiritual darkness, and there were corrupt leaders, and there was religious confusion, just to name a few of the issues. Again, it sounds very similar. There's a lot of things that have changed since the time of Isaiah to the time of Jesus in those first centuries to our day. I don't know if you saw this week or in our world, they had the first successful nu- nuclear fusion reaction. Not to be confused, you cook nuclear people with nuclear fission, and some of you, like two of you, know the difference to that. Um, You can look it up. Uncle Google can help you understand the difference between those two. Uh, Did you see this week all the stories about uh, chat GPT, the artificial intelligence? You can go online and you can sign up and you can interact with artificial intelligence. Um, One of the latest things, you can ask it to write a poem for you. You can ask it to... Uh, to write a song. There's any number of things you can do. So our world, there's a lot of changes in our world. And we could list all the things that are different from the first century or Isaiah's time, 70 years before that, to our day. But there are some things that are the same and the, the things that are the same are that we live in times of struggle and turmoil. As Jesus said, 
we will have trials and sorrows. And it's into those seasons of pain and sorrows and trials that are the universal human experience that God sends His Son. And what's the difference that it makes in our lives when we embrace Him as Savior, when we invite Him to come into that sorrow, into that hardship, into that time of struggle? So let's go back. Let's go back and look at that that prophetic verse, again, written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, that describes who he is, that describes the Savior who would come, but we understand who has come for us. What's the difference that he makes? Let me read it one more time for us, and we'll look at it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called, his name shall be called, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As I read that, that verse, that first part, it just jumps out at me. I, I'm a bit of a theological nerd. Some of you understand that. If you've been around here for a while, uh, I am an absolute theological nerd. I was talking to Crystal, and I was talking about this passage this week. And I said, Crystal, it's, it's, like, it's like in Scripture, you, at times, you get these glimpses of theological sunsets. It's kind of nerdy, but that's what I was thinking. And I think of Chris and I, we just love occasionally to jump in my little 25-year-old two-seater uh, convertible Mazda Miata and just to drive down to Lions Park right before sunset and just to sit there with no other agenda except to watch the sunset. Any other nerds? Any other people that like to do that? Just to watch, no other agenda, just to watch the sunset. Some of you are thinking, that is a total waste of time. I've talked to some of you that say, well, you know, I can't even think about the last, I can't even remember the last time I've watched a sunset. I've traveled to different parts of the world uh, on different missions, different, different things. I would put a southwest Michigan sunset over Lake Michigan up against any sunset anywhere else in the world. God creates it. And when we, when we think about what is in, in, engaged in, in, in creating a sunset. We experience it. To experience the, the words of this scripture, the difference that it makes to experience it. This theological sunset. Don't, don't just look at it and think in these, these words that it's no big deal. Isaiah, he's talking about, what's he say? A child is born, a son is given. Again, written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, talking about the child who would come. And what does it say of him? That, that he is... The child that's born just reminds us that he's 100% flesh, born of Mary. But then also when it says a son is given, that son reminds us that he is the divine son of the living God. And so we have in that those, those two little phrases this deep theological concept, this idea that God is uh, is, 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 Jesus is fully God, but also fully man, fully flesh. His humanity and his divinity all wrapped up together. And it doesn't make sense to think that he is 100% this and 100% that because that doesn't make sense mathematically. But that's why it's this beautiful, mysterious, complicated theological sunset that makes an absolute difference in our lives when we grasp its significance for us in our struggle, in our valleys that we walk through. Jesus in his humanity, as this scripture reminds us of, that a child's been born, it's his 
humanity that reminds us that he could be a sacrifice for us, that he lived among us, he was tempted like us, he struggled like us, but he remained sinless. And so when he went to the cross, he doesn't go to the cross to pay, to die for his own sins that he had committed to pay the penalty for sin, which is death. He didn't go to pay his own sins because he didn't have any sins, pay for those sins. He could go and pay for ours. And so he is 100% human. But he's also 100% divine. The son of God, the son of not the, not the son of Adam. Romans 5.12 talks about how we have all inherited a sin nature. But, but Jesus doesn't have a father. Abraham, or Abram is Adam, sorry, or, sorry. Adam is not his father like we are the, we're all born humans. And so we have this sin nature that we have inherited, but not Jesus. His divinity is described in John 1 talks about that he was there before the foundations of the, wor the world. The word was with God, Jesus, was with God, and the word was God. And all that was made was created by him and through him. So when we think about Jesus as the eternal son of God, that, that he is the one that eternally could, as a sacrifice, be a sacrifice as the eternal before time was. He could be a sacrifice for our sins past and present and future, the eternal Son of God. But then we are reminded of John 1, 14. We go on a little further, and it says, The Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so those little phrases are easy to overlook, just like a sunset is easy to drive past. But when we, when we just sit and we just sit in awe of it just for a second to understand that Jesus is fully human and fully divine and how that makes a difference in our lives. That into our hardship, a Savior has come that could be the sinless sacrifice for us, but also a Savior that understands us, that was human like us. It's absolutely essential that he was fully God and fully man. But not only do we see the humanity of Jesus and we see the divinity of Jesus in these first two little phrases of verse 6, but then what do we see? What's that next phrase? And the government shall be on his shoulders. We also see the sovereignty of Jesus. We see that there's coming a day in the, as we think about our world that's politically charged with all the drama and all the the, the, the junk of politics and governments that are broken to find encouragement there, encouragement there is coming a day when the Savior, our Savior, will, on his shoulders, all the other governments will rest, that he will reign and he will rule, that his kingdom come and his will will be done on this earth as it is in heaven, and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. What an encouragement in our broken political system to know that one day all of it will rest on his shoulders. Is that just me or is that an encouragement to anybody? That on his shoulders it will all rest one day. That's our Savior. He is the ultimate ruler. He is the ultimate authority. That verse, again, as we think about it, there are implications for us as we walk through our valleys, our shadows of death, as we walk through our struggle, struggles and our tribulations. 
Understanding that he's fully God, that he's fully man. Understanding that there's coming a day when he will rule and his reign will be supreme. That verse ends with a list of these prophetic descriptive titles of what the Savior would be or who he would be. And Isaiah writes it thinking about the future when this Savior comes, when this Messiah comes, this is what he'll be like. They hadn't experienced it yet, but he's coming. And that's what the the implication of Isaiah and what he's writing. But we can look backwards and we know that he has come. It's really cool to be able to live in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming. As we can enjoy all the benefits of what Isaiah foretold would one day be in the Savior. That one day the Savior would come and he would be our wonderful counselor. He can be that for us now. He can be our mighty God. He can be our everlasting Father. He can be our Prince of Peace. So how does it make a difference for us to invite him into our hardship to be those things for us? Let me read it again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Our Savior is our Wonderful Counselor. There's a lot of places in our world that we can go for counsel. How many of us look at, uh, kind of fashion ourselves as a bit of experts in different areas of life? We can look at someone's life and we can very quickly ascertain, well, if they just did this and they just made that decision, that would be all better. How many of you have done that? You've all, we've all done that. We've all looked at someone else, and we've, we've looked at their situation, and we thought, well, that was just a bonehead decision they made. They ought to do more of this and less of that. And it's real easy when we are looking at their life from the outside into our life and the struggle that we have. People can also look from the outside in and can give any number of things that would fix our issue or our, our situation. And so there are a lot of counselors. We could count ourselves among those counselors in our world. You can go to any bookstore. You can go to any library. You can go to Uncle Google. Or you can go to now to chat GPT and artificial intelligence. And you can get advice on practically any situation or issue. You can open up your fortune cookie. You can make an appointment with your psychic. You can go uh, look at a horoscope. You can pull your Ouija board out. All can provide counsel. But what does it say of Jesus. He is our wonderful counselor. None of those sources are wonderful counselors. Jesus, into our pain and into our struggle, can be our wonderful counselor. There's an old Danish proverb that says, he who builds according to every man's advice will have a crooked house. There's a lot of people that would give advice. Think about the people who flocked to Jesus and they, they, they sat under his teaching and, and people would say of his teaching, I've never heard anyone teach like this. He's different than all these people, other teachers. There's something different about him. And that's our Savior. That's our Jesus. He, that's our wonderful counselor. The ultimate source of wisdom and understanding to be able to to look into his word and to understand in our hardship how his words apply and how his life applies as we look at, applies to us as we look at situations and how helpful the, the teaching of Jesus is, the life of Jesus is, to understand that we have, the, we have the privilege of being able to talk to him, to sit with him, to contemplate him, 
to be loved by him, to sit in his presence in prayer. He's the ultimate source. Just what we need to experience what he promised us, that we could have an abundant life in this world. He is our wonderful counselor. Into your situation, into your pain or struggle or hardship, are you allowing him to be your wonderful counselor? I say he goes on to say, not only is he our wonderful counselor, he will be called mighty God. Our Savior is our mighty God. That our mighty God has the power to help us. He has the power to change us. Remember what the angel told Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. Do you believe that about your Savior? Nothing will be impossible with him. Into our difficult hardships. That he can move in my situation as I open my life up, as I trust him, as I invite him to be a part of what's going on in me. He who is able to, to abundantly, above all that I can ask or imagine, as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He is our mighty God with the power to reconcile us to God, to take care of the sin issue that we have, and, and also to take us from this broken world into this world that he has prepared for us. He's coming back, and he's going to, he has the power to usher us into that place. That's our mighty God. And if you have any doubt that he has the ability and the power to be that mighty God to transform lives, I invite you to go back a couple weeks ago to look at our, rewatch our testimony service. And just listen to the stories of how God, how the Savior moves in lives. He is our mighty God. Not only is he our mighty God, he's our everlasting Father. In other words, he is our, he's the father of eternity, that he's the originator, he's the source of all. Uh, next month, we're going to start a new series through the book of Colossians. One of the major themes in the book of Colossians is this big word, the preeminence of Christ, but that big word, the preeminence of Christ, he was there from before the beginning. That's Jesus. It, in chapter 1, talks about, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. In him all things hold together. Our mighty God holds it all together. When I was growing up, I used to think of my dad. You know, my, my dad, can, he can take care of that. I can trust my dad. Whatever the situation was, whatever the struggle was, my dad's got that. And even though our earthly fathers are flawed, I was, I am but we have an everlasting father that's not flawed. That that same childlike attitude that we can have of him, that, that he's, he's got it. He's got this. He's going to hold it together. He was there from the beginning. He's going to be there after the end. He can hold it. He has held it all together, and he can hold me together. He's my everlasting father. In my brokenness, in my hardship, he can be that. And then that final descriptor of Jesus, he is my prince of peace. As we look around our world, we live in a world filled with violence and war, a world divided by politics and values and beliefs, a world that's not very peaceful. And into that hardship, into the time that Jesus came, he talked about that he would bring peace to us, that he would bring personal peace to us, he would bring peace with God to us. In the middle of our turmoil, in the middle of our hardship, that he could be that and bring that. John 14, 27, Jesus says it this way, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Are you here today and need to be reminded of those words of Jesus? That he's told us that we don't need to be afraid. That he wants to give us his peace. Do you remember what the angel said when they came to the shepherds who were tending their flocks outside of Bethlehem that night? Records um, the words to the shepherds of those angels. And there have been Christmas carols based on on uh, translations from those original languages and the, the, those that have written the carols, they took one, one of those carols, says it this way, the words of the angels, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That Jesus has come to bring peace to our world is the way they've translated that. How's that going for us? Look around our world. How would you say that's working out? New York Times did an article a while back, and they looked at human history. There's about 3,400 years of human history. Of those 3,400 years of human history, 200, I believe the number was 268, they estimated. 268 of those 3,400 years our world has been at peace. That's about 8%. So that's not a great track record. Is that really what Jesus came to do? Is it really what the angels said? If you go back to the original language, you go back to the Greek. Actually, the ESV is a good translation. New American Standard is a good translation. In verse 14, Luke 2, 14, a better translation says it this way, on earth... Peace, the words of the angels to the shepherds. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So not just this generic peace to our world that, that he's, he's going to bring that. He's going to do that the second time around. The first time around, it's really not what our world is experiencing, is it? But he has brought peace. And he can, we can find his peace in the midst of the brokenness of our world, in the midst of the wars, in the midst of wars, in the midst of the turmoil, he can bring peace, that he can be the prince of peace. I can experience that. Jesus, my Savior, makes peace for me possible. And I can absolutely share that Crystal and I, with our own experience this past year, with our son. When that cancer word comes up with a child and there's that initial shock and you're devastated in the moment and then you turn to your Savior and you put all the theology that you've believed and all the sermons that you've preached and all the scripture that you've read and all the advice that you've given to other people and then it comes home and it becomes real And Jesus absolutely, in that season, was our peace. He gave it. And he gave it to us, and he can give it to you. That's who he is. And not only in the moment, not only in the short term, but then also to to just pause long enough to just just to, to glance at the future. The future, because we know that we are living in this great season between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And when Christ returns, he will 
in the end that bring peace, that, that all things will be made right, that he will rule and he will reign, and he will be Lord of lords and King of kings. And all of creation, all of the universe, everything will experience his peace, the peace of God, the peace of God. Do you have that now? We can have that individually now. Jesus told us in this world we would have trouble, that we would have tribulation, that we would have sorrow, that we would have struggle. And Isaiah the prophet wrote in a very difficult time of trouble and tribulation that there is coming a day when a child would be born that would change everything, a son would be given, that a fully, a fully human but yet fully divine Savior who would come who would come a, as a once and for all sacrifice for all of us, that we could be reunited with God the Father. And then upon his shoulders, the governments would one day rest, that he would rule and he will one day reign. But in the meantime, what he would be called, and I hope that you can call him this, that he today, as you are here, is your wonderful counselor, that he is your mighty God, he is your everlasting Father. He is your Prince of Peace. As we invite our worship team to come back up, I would in, just invite you as we conclude, we're going to have a time of worship. And as we sing these final concluding songs of worship, to invite him to be those things to you. And I don't know what the struggle is. I don't know what the pain point is. I don't know where the, the hardship is. I don't know what's going on in your life. But maybe you're here today and you've never invited Christ to be your Savior. That, that you recognize that you need Christ, that, that, that you need that. You need that Savior in your life. And so today, what you need is that one who was the child that was born, the son who's given. You need the one that understands what you're going through in his humanity, but also is divine and has the solution so that you can be reunited with God the Father to get you through this crazy world that we live in. Or maybe you're here today and you're going through some, some stuff and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what the answers are. And maybe today you can invite him to come and be your wonderful counselor. Or some of you need, need in your situation where it seems like you need a miracle, you need him to be your mighty God. Will you invite him to be that today? Or maybe today into your struggle to be reminded that there is a God that loves you, that your Father's got it, the eternal one who is holding all this world together and he can help you hold your world together. Would you invite him to be your everlasting Father to come into your struggle? Or maybe today, I know there are many of you, that into the pain of this world and into your life, what you need to invite Jesus to be for you is your prince of peace. As you, if you want to invite Christ to be your Savior today, I would invite you. There's a, a number that we put on the screen. where You can text the word Jesus to 269-231-8692, whether you're online or radio or here in the room. We'd love to send you some resources. We'd have, love to have a conversation with you as well. Again, 269-231-8692. Invite him to be your Savior.
Invite him to be your wonderful counselor. Invite him to be your mighty God, your everlasting father, your prince of peace. And so, Father God, today, as we conclude, we pray, Father, that you would send your son, just like you'd sent him into that first century, to send him here to be with us in this room, on the other side of a screen, on the other side of a radio, to send him to be all of that and more to us in our struggle and to our hardship. We invite the Savior to come, to be our Savior, our mighty God, our wonderful counselor, our Prince of Peace, our everlasting Father. Encourage us now as we invite your Son to be with us. We pray in Jesus' name.